Chapter forty eight of Young People's Treasury, Volume six Famous Travels and Adventures by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Historical Sketch of Arctic Exploration, Part One by Ernest Ingersoll. Arctic exploration began with the great rise of interest in geography and international commerce which characterized the 15th and 16th centuries due to the discovery of America, the improvement in instruments of navigation and topography, and the invention of printing, whereby accounts of voyages came to be widely read. The daring sailors of Norseland, not to speak of earlier, somewhat mythical, voyagers to Ultima Thule, had long known the stormy seas between Norway and Greenland, as far north at least as the borders of the summer ice drift, where they went to hunt the walrus and the seal in their open boats. Magellan had shown the possibility of sailing to the Far East, whence came goods always in demand and yielding large profits, and where lived millions of men ready to buy the products of the awakening West. But then, as now, the key to that profitable interchange of commodities, which is called trade, lay in cost of transportation. For centuries the carriage had been overland, a method slow, limited and costly magellan had shown it possible to sail back and forth around the globe but the voyage was so long and so costly that it was little improvement and da gama had pointed out a scarcely shorter path around africa a few ventures came by way of the red sea camel train across the isthmus of suez and through the mediterranean but that route was so infested with pirates as to be commercially impracticable it occurred to Englishmen that a relatively short trade route might be found around the north shore of the continents of Europe and Asia, provided it were possible to sail through those ice-obstructed waters. A valuable commerce might, at least, they thought, be established between England and northern Russia or Muscovy. This especially appealed to the English and Dutch, because by such a route they would avoid the exactions of their traditional enemies, the Spanish and Portuguese, then masters of the southern seas, and never more happy than when seizing merchant prizes. Seeking a Northeast Passage In 1553, therefore, an English navigator, Sir Hugh Willoughby, was sent north with three small ships, one of them commanded by Richard Chancellor, to study the feasibility of a Northeast Passage. Willoughby reached Kolgujef Island, then returned to the coast of Lapland and died there in winter quarters with all his 62 men. But Chancellor made his way up the White Sea, where he was met by Russian traders, and, going himself to Moscow, he arranged with the Tsar for friendly trade relations with England. When the next year he returned to England and reported this degree of success, there was organized and chartered in London the Moscovy Company, an event that had important consequences. This was followed by further attempts by the Dutch to work their way through a northeast passage, the most notable of which was in charge of Wilhelm Barentz. His vessel reached Nova Zembla and traced its coast some distance to the north. Two years later, Barentz went as pilot to another expedition dispatched by the merchants of Amsterdam, which confirmed and extended his discoveries, but ended in being frozen in north of Nova Zembla, resulting in the death of many of the men. Arctic voyagers had not yet learned to foresee the intensity of the cold to which they were to be subjected. 
nor how adequately to protect themselves against it and against starvation there were in those days very little means of carrying food other than meat in the roughly salted condition to which seamen were then accustomed and when this was eaten continuously for several months it tended with other unhealthy conditions to bring about that frightful disease scurvy which was the bane of all early voyagers at last in june fifteen ninety seven the survivors set out in separate boats for the mainland Barentz succumbed to the hardships and was buried in the waters which now bear his name but the others reached lapland found the other vessel and were carried home this expedition was one of the most important of all that had been made since it ascertained the terrific pressure of the ice pack upon the north coast of nova zembla and proved the existence of open water between that island and the mainland to this information may be traced the dutch whale fisheries which were not only of great value to the nation but had an important effect in stimulating arctic exploration willoughby's failure caused attention to be turned to the possibility of passing into the pacific north of america the shortest possible water route between europe and china or the east indies which were at that time the goals of commercial ambition and for three centuries explorers struggled to find a northwest passage a phrase indelibly printed upon the history of arctic research beginning the search for a northwest passage one of the first seekers was martin frobisher who in fifteen seventy six sailing in a fishing boat of about twenty-five tons found the bay bearing his name and took back the news of a wide space of water near it leading west that now known as hudson strait he also carried back tons of glittering mica schist thought to contain gold a few years later fifteen eighty five john davis another englishman reached the arctic circle on the west coast of davis strait as it is still called and in two subsequent voyages he rediscovered the west coast of greenland as far as the present town of Upernivik, and returned convinced that a passage for ships was possible onward through a great sea free large very salt and blue opening out to the north the formation of the english muscovy company has been mentioned this corporation resumed its efforts toward a northern passage to the east by sending out a ship in command of captain henry hudson who in two voyages sixteen o seven to o eight examined the front of the ice floe all the way from northeastern greenland to the kara strait without finding any opening although once he penetrated north to latitude eighty degrees twenty three minutes in sixteen o nine he entered the service of the dutch east india company and again went north in two ships the good hope and the half moon flying the company's flag but although he again reached nova zembla his crew mutinied in terror and the Weygott passage was not attempted. The Good Hope returned to Amsterdam while the Half Moon pushed on across the Atlantic. This is the voyage in which Hudson entered our Hudson River, but this and other important discoveries made by him in lower latitudes have no Arctic interest, except that they exploded the theory that a great strait could be found leading through the American continent somewhere about latitude 40 degrees north. In April, 1610, henry hudson was again sent to the northwest by an association of englishmen and in june he entered hudson bay the summer was spent in learning what he could about this inland sea but the frosts of november locked his vessel in the ice and the months that followed were fraught with great suffering and fear 
this culminated in the following june when a portion of the ship's crew mutinied openly seized hudson his son and seven disabled companions put them off in the ship's small boat and set them adrift no one of the maroon party was ever heard of again the mutineers then spent some time in pursuit of whales and finally returned to england where they were promptly tried and almost as promptly hanged this expedition had added an immense area and number of details to the map of north america and had definitely shown that no passage through the continent existed there but it had also revealed to europe new whaling and sealing grounds which have not yet been exhausted and a means of direct approach to the interior of the continent which is likely to be more actively utilized in the future than it has been in the past whaling voyages and scientific expeditions into north american waters now followed one another rapidly and many a name on our maps remains as a memorial of some brave voyager long since forgotten by the general public the best remembered one of this early time is that of william baffin who with robert bylot was the first to enter the great bay which perpetuates his reputation and whose outlines he traced but he thought it landlocked hudson bay also became a field of work for seamen acting in the interest of the hudson's bay company chartered in sixteen thirty four and two talented captains fox and james have left their names upon the great northern and southern extensions respectively of this canadian sea meanwhile russians had begun studying the vast length of their own arctic coast not to go farther back peter the great employed a danish naval officer vitus bering upon a grand plan to determine the boundaries of asia and desired him particularly to ascertain whether or not it was connected with america bering made this his first object and went twice to the north pacific where he was finally wrecked and died later in seventeen seventy an ivory merchant whose name has been attached to the liakoff islands off the mouth of the yana river explored that region extensively finding among other things deposits of fossil mammoth ivory which resulted in attracting many other ivory hunters and in the gaining of additional geographic details ross perry buchan and franklin european wars interrupted exploration till after the napoleonic disturbance had subsided when a new and most productive era of discovery began in a renewed searching for a northwest passage by sea stimulated by large money rewards offered by the british government sir john barrow for whom several arctic places are named promoted the earlier of these new efforts especially one in charge of sir john ross who in eighteen eighteen confirmed baffin's much doubted assertions in respect to the shores of baffin bay and then penetrated far beyond into lancaster sound from the western opening of which he was turned back by oddly mistaking low jagged clouds for mountains lying athwart his path one of his lieutenants was william edward perry he believed that the search had been prematurely abandoned and in eighteen nineteen returned to the same regions in the ships griper and hecla disproving ross's theory that lancaster sound was landlocked by sailing through it he went on through its continuation barrow strait and explored prince regent inlet wellington channel and the islands north of melville sound since called perry archipelago perry made two further voyages taking the hecla each time 
but added little to his former successes and lost one of his ships in the ice he also later attempted to find the pole by sledging from spitzbergen and later reached latitude eighty two degrees forty five minutes this was in eighteen twenty seven perry's writings are very readable and contain careful descriptions of eskimo life and customs meanwhile eighteen nineteen another british naval officer who was ardent in the scientific branches of his profession as well as distinguished in seamanship and naval warfare and who had been with david buchan in the ill-starred trent polar expedition of eighteen eighteen was sent overland to cooperate with others in defining the mainland coast of america this was lieutenant john franklin a man destined to become one of the most famous among the explorers of the frozen north for several years he and his parties lived and traveled among the eskimos tracing the coastline from a considerable distance east of the mouth of the copper mine river westward almost to point barrow alaska where they came within one hundred forty six miles of meeting beachy's cooperative examination by sea from bering strait and it was out of these trips that we got the valuable treatises upon the natural history of british america published by his assistants hearn and richardson this ended in eighteen twenty six captain john ross and his nephew james made a second expedition in eighteen twenty nine and went as far as perry had done but curiously failed to recognize belot strait as a thoroughfare and so missed the thing they were in search of they discovered boothia felix and during the three winters spent on its eastern shore the younger ross by sledging discovered franklin passage victoria strait and king william land and largely explored their coasts but his most important work giving imperishable renown to his name as greeley declares was the determination of the position of the north magnetic pole on the west coast of boothia felix the additions made and to be made in respect to magnetism in the polar regions have always been one of the worthiest and most serviceable objects of investigation in this line of research having a direct bearing upon the security of navigation this with other advantageous facts to be learned only or best in the region near the pole is however explained so clearly in dr gerland's article on polar research pages ninety to ninety six that it need not be dwelt upon here by overland journeys from their trading posts on great slave lake and elsewhere the hudson's bay company's men especially black simpson deese and john ray connected various points of the american coast so that before eighteen fifty it was known with substantial accuracy from melville peninsula to bering strait in much the same way russian sledge travelers had traced the northern asiatic coast by descending to the mouths of rivers but no ship had yet succeeded in passing chape chelyuskin the northernmost point of asia franklin's ill-fated expedition in may eighteen forty five the ships erebus and terror which had just returned from the antarctic regions with sir james ross carried sir john franklin with one hundred twenty nine men to search again for a northwest passage and began perhaps the most romantic episode in arctic history in july they were spoken by a whaler off lancaster sound and then disappeared anxiety grew steadily in regard to them but not until eighteen forty eight did the british government fit out any search expedition 
in that year several of these were conducted on land by ross richardson and ray but with no result in eighteen fifty one ray again started north overland from fort confidence and with two men traveled on foot to wollaston land which he was the first to visit after various side trips he proceeded north to victoria strait and so came within fifty miles of where franklin's vessels as we now know had been abandoned three years later this same indefatigable scotchman discovered evidences of the residence of franklin's men on king william land and the next year various relics were recovered there meanwhile several expeditions by sea had learned little of franklin's fate but it added vastly to knowledge of arctic geography mcclure's party in the investigator coming very near to actually making the northwest passage and failing only because they could not force their way through the ice to barrow strait it was not until later that the whole truth in regard to the franklin expedition came out sir john died on june eleventh eighteen forty seven on board the erebus both ships having been ice-bound since the previous september and the ships were deserted in april eighteen forty eight officers and crews then numbering one hundred five men started overland for the south hoping to reach and ascend back's fish river the party broke up into smaller groups and one by one all perished we now know that had they had a little further information the lives of many might have been saved the record found in a cairn at point victory and some other scattered relics are all that are left of the expedition save the world-wide significance of its results and the pathos of its tragic end early american explorers the universal interest in the fate of franklin and the tireless efforts of his widow to learn the facts aroused sympathy in the united states but it was not until eighteen fifty that this took practical form in that year henry grinnell a merchant of new york sent into the north two small vessels to take part in the search but they accomplished little beyond the discovery of grinnell land with them went a young physician elisha kent kane who persuaded grinnell to send him again to the north less to search for franklin whom he had despaired of than to prosecute explorations in higher latitudes in eighteen fifty three in command of the little brig advance manned principally by whaling men he made his way straight up to smith sound where on the greenland shore of its northerly expansion since called cane basin he was stopped by ice and remained a prisoner until rescued in eighteen fifty five dr kane wrote the histories of these expeditions and especially of the latter one in books so charmingly expressed and abounding in such novel information that they were read like romances in every home in the land and did more to fire the ardor for arctic discovery which has ever since glowed in this country than anything else said or done previous to the exploits of r e Peary. an excellent sample of this book may be read on pages one sixty three to one seventy one of this volume hall and the polaris canes and other books aroused the enthusiasm of a young newspaper man in cincinnati charles f hall who resolved to go to the far north alone and having by popular subscription procured an outfit he traveled in a whaler to the shores of cumberland sound and there lived and wandered for two years with the eskimos finding among other interesting things the remains of a stone house built by frobisher in seventeen fifty eight 
This was in 1860 to 61. Again, from 1864 to 1869, Hall was living with a wandering Eskimo north of Hudson Bay, preparing himself to undertake an expedition which may be said to be the first whose avowed object was to try to reach the North Pole. The United States government furnished him the steamer Polaris and a small but efficient body of scientific assistants, one of whom was Emil Bessels. The Polaris passed through Smith Sound and Kennedy Channel, and finding that the latter, beyond its expansion into Hall Sound, continued northeastward, forming Robeson Channel, Hall stopped his ship and by sledge journeys reached Cape Brevoort, above 82 degrees north, whence he could see the open polar sea. This was not only far beyond any previous northing, but his work added immensely to our knowledge of both Grinnell Land and Northwestern Greenland, and prepared the way for further successes. This sledge journey was, however, too great a strain, for Hall had hardly returned to his ship when he sickened and died. His companions sailed southward, but met with extraordinary misfortunes. The ship's company became divided in a storm which nearly sank the vessel, one party going upon the ice while the other remained with the broken ship. The former drifted miraculously down to the coast of Labrador, where all were rescued, while those left on the ship reached land, spent a fairly comfortable winter, and got home by their own boats and the generosity of a Scotch whaling ship. Dr. Bessels and others returned to the north in 1872 and again reached the Polar Sea, a few miles farther than Hall's record. In 1875, a British expedition under Sir George Nerys re-examined this same region, learning much more of Grinnell Land, and his sledging parties under Clements R. Markham reached 83 degrees 20 minutes north. The overland trip of Frederick Schwatka to King William Land in 1879 should also be mentioned. Voyaging about Spitzbergen All this time the seas and archipelagos north of Europe as well as those north of America, were being questioned. The Norwegian fishermen had been familiar with Spitsbergen waters from long ago, but it was not until 1863 that the group was circumnavigated. The next year, Captain S. K. Tobiason sailed around Northeast land, and in 1870, Nova Zembla was circumnavigated, and the mouth of the Obi reached. The men who did these feats were sealers, or whale fishers, in small, stanch Norwegian schooners, such as flocked in Barents Sea at this period, and they furnished invaluable material, as did the whalers and sealers of American and Scotch ports, for the ice pilots and crews of the scientific expeditions, which now began to go to the north. Moreover, many of the commanders were trained by amateur service in such vessels. Julius von Payer, who went to Greenland in 1869, and in the next year participated in a German expedition toward the North Pole, east of Spitsbergen, was an Austrian painter, as well as staff officer. He was one of the leaders, the other being Karl Weyprecht, of an Austrian expedition, which in 1872-74 to 74 discovered and explored Franz Joseph Land. International Stations and Greeley's Work Weyprecht embodied the results of his Arctic experiences in various important scientific works and made a strong plea that instead of these miscellaneous spasmodic efforts, a united attempt should be made by all the nations interested in scientific advance. 
he outlined a system of cooperation by which stations established in the polar world could be mutually helpful eliminating the question of commercial or national rivalry and all working together purely in the interests of science and the elucidation of the many physical problems to which a knowledge of polar conditions alone affords the clue there resulted in eighteen seventy nine the international geographical congress which convened in hamburg for the discussion of polar questions in the winter of eighteen eighty two Weyprecht died the year before stations of relief and supplies were established both in the arctic and the antarctic regions according to the plan of the hamburg congress and of a subsequent one held at Bern, which afforded a system of circumpolar cooperation the station established by the united states under lieutenant adolphus w greeley u s a in latitude eighty one degrees forty four minutes north on the east coast of grinnell land was one of the earliest this station on lady franklin bay robeson channel was the farthest north of any and was named fort conger amply equipped and carefully selected as to its members it was destined to make some extraordinary geographic exploration and it collected much valuable data in addition to important weather observation dr octave pavey made a pedestrian and sledge expedition to the extreme northern point of grinnell land now called grant land while other parties explored the interior lockwood and brainard two other members crossed over to greenland and on may fifth eighteen eighty two reached eighty three degrees twenty four minutes five seconds which up to that time was the farthest north and for years was the most northern latitude to which the american flag had been carried in august eighteen eighty three the party left fort conger in expectation of finding a vessel in smith sound but were compelled to go into winter quarters near cape sabine and here the remnant of the party was found in the following spring by captain winfield s schley commanding the government relief ships bear and thetis lockwood was among the nineteen who had perished and greeley and his six companions were rescued only in the nick of time the work of the greeley party was brilliant and permanent the northeast passage won in the vega meanwhile spitzbergen had been thoroughly chartered by niels a e nordenschold a swedish nobleman who alternated with this work trips to the interior of greenland in eighteen seventy and eighteen eighty three and in eighteen seventy eight seventy nine he reattempted the northeast passage with a brilliant success which has made his name famous he obtained and outfitted the steamer vega and arranged that a smaller supply steamer should accompany him as far as the mouth of the river lena a bold proposition in itself for that was a thousand miles beyond the yenisei nevertheless this undertaking was carried out for leaving on july fourth eighteen seventy eight a month later they were traversing the kara sea and on august nineteenth passed cape chelyuskin which up to that time had defied all attempts a week later the mouth of the lena was reached and the little tender after transferring her coal and other stores turned west and actually sailed back to civilization uninjured the vega then hastened on eastward and came near getting right through to bering strait in that one season but at the end of september the men found themselves frozen into the ice off north cape where captain cook had turned back in seventeen seventy eight 
only 120 miles from Bering Strait. Here they were near shore. The country was inhabited by Chukchises, a nomadic people with herds of reindeer who take the place in Siberia of the Eskimos of Arctic America, and the time was well spent in gathering a knowledge of these people and their country, and in making very valuable collections in zoology and anthropology. It was not until July 18, 1879, however, that their prison gates opened and the Vega steamed on. These waters were familiar enough to navigators, and Nordenschuld proceeded straight east, passed down through Bering Strait, and a few months later reached home by the Suez Canal, a second Magellan. The Jeannette Expedition in the same year, 1879, George W. DeLong, an American naval lieutenant, was sailing into the western Siberian Arctic seas in command of the Jeannette, carrying an expedition organized by James Gordon Bennett, the younger, but authorized by the United States. She just missed meeting the Vega, and having reached the Siberian Cape Lurds Cayman, steamed northward to latitude 71 degrees, 35 minutes. There, in September, DeLong was caught in the ice and drifted northwestward to latitude 77 degrees, 15 minutes, thus learning that Wrangell Land was really an island. It was now June 1881, and the drift came to an end by the crushing of the Jeannette in the moving pack. The crew escaped to the ice and dragged themselves and their loaded boats and sledges through frightful hardships and exertions toward the bleak coast of Siberia. Open water was found at last, and the starving men embarked in their three boats for the mouth of the Lena, but soon they were separated in a storm, and each one proceeded as best he could. One boat foundered in the first gale, another in charge of G. W. Melville, now Rear Admiral United States Navy, reached an eastern mouth of the river and ascended it to a Russian village. A third boat, with DeLong and others, also reached the Lena Delta, but only two seamen were able to proceed afoot to Boulogne, a faraway Russian settlement. Melville heard of this and made haste to start out searching parties, but they were too late. DeLong and his crew had died of exhaustion, and it was not until the next season that their bodies and records were fully recovered. Melville's Account of DeLong's Fate Perhaps no better picture of the terrors of the Arctic and its stabbing cold can be found than that which is given by Melville, describing the forlorn place where he found the DeLong party. A barren plateau between a small outlying promontory and a bleak weather-riven rock of red cyanite reaching to the skies on which even the mosses and lichens would scarce grow. The raging of the wind in the pitiless sea and the roar of the black water of the bay dashing over the ice foot made the lonesome picture look colder and more appalling. Drifts of ice and snow choked the ravines and hollows, but, saving ourselves and the famished, skeleton-like survivors, not a living thing appeared on the whitened landscape. The region truly seemed to be the most desolate on the face of the earth. It looked as though the curses of ten thousand witches had descended upon and blasted it, and even the birds would not dare to take their flight across the lifeless land, lest they too fall victims into the death gap below. Struggling up the valley of death against the frantic wind from the low point to the westward of the camp, where we managed with difficulty to effect a landing in our whaleboats, we first came upon the remains of the winter habitation, 
a parallelogram of four walls about three feet high built of loose stone the inside dimensions being eighteen by twenty-two feet with a tunnel or covered way facing the mountain to the southward this hut had been roofed over with the whale boats turned upside down and covered with the sails and tent cloths the smoke flue made of old tin kettles bound with bits of canvas was thrown to one side and water had risen in and about the wretched dwelling-place to a height of eight inches concealing much of the foul evidence of squalid misery in which its poor occupants had lived cast-off fur and cloth clothing empty tin cans and the sickening filth of twenty-five men for nine months lay heaped and scattered about a veritable augean scene facts regarding the siberian sea despite its dreadful outcome the scientific results of this expedition were important physically and geographically they covered some fifty thousand square miles of polar ocean and clearly indicate the conditions of an equal area between their line of drift and the asiatic coast de long believed the ocean bordering siberia to be a shallow sea dotted with islands and his conclusions have been confirmed by the admirable scientific work since of toll bunge and other europeans who have explored that part of the arctic realm and shown that a broad continental shelf borders northern asia and europe beyond which there is a sudden descent to the depths of the true polar sea moreover the steady drift of the jeannette helpless in her ice pack gave a clue to the probable direction of the currents in that region which led nansen to believe that he could drift right across the polar space a project practically carried out as will be related presently early efforts of r e peary some years now elapsed during which little was done in this department of geographical work when the public began to hear of an american naval civil engineer lieutenant robert e peary who had previously been known only as chief engineer in charge of the government survey of the proposed route of the nicaragua ship canal he was a pennsylvanian and a graduate of bowdoin college who had entered the staff of the united states navy in eighteen eighty one in eighteen eighty six he made a reconnaissance of the greenland ice cap near disco and then began thorough study and preparation for further arctic work to which he was intensely attracted in eighteen ninety one ninety two peary returned to northern greenland and with e astrup journeyed from melville bay across the lofty ice-buried interior to the atlantic coast at independence bay latitude eighty one degrees thirty seven minutes north an unprecedented footmarch of twelve hundred miles he proved that the northern extension of the great interior ice cap ends below latitude eighty two degrees north he also established the insularity of greenland and ascertained the existence of detached ice-free land masses north of the mainland his ethnological work among the eskimos known as the arctic highlanders from cape york to smith sound was the most thorough and noteworthy that has been done in that region the name peary land remains written across the map of northwestern greenland and peary channel is the name of the water between it and the land masses north of it on this voyage but of course not in the sledging peary was accompanied by his young wife and at etah was born to them their first child a daughter mrs peary has written an entertaining book my arctic journal relating the experiences of that winter with the eskimos 
who were immensely interested in her and her baby who was named marie agnito marie the snow child and thrived excellently nansen's drift in the fram at this time there was in progress one of the most unusual and daring projects ever undertaken while greeley was retreating in eighteen eighty two a norwegian dr fridjof nansen was voyaging in the jan mayen and spitzbergen seas in a sealing ship as a student of marine zoology he observed fragments of the wreckage of the jeannette on the coast of greenland which must have drifted thither from northeastern siberia this and much other evidence convinced dr nansen that a current flowed across the unknown polar space from the neighborhood of alaska to the northeast coast of greenland and thence became the great arctic current that we recognize south of iceland he argued that if a vessel could find this current north of eastern siberia she would be moved with it until she emerged into the atlantic incidentally she might drift directly over the pole with this in view he raised funds to build and equip a small wooden vessel the fram furnished with both steam and sails she was so shaped by the roundness of her bottom and so amazingly braced and strengthened within that before any nips of the ice could crush her the pressure would lift her out of the water as in fact happened many times in the course of her wonderful excursion nansen chose twelve companions and though some of them were educated men of science others skillful sea captains and others common sailors all lived and worked together in one cabin as brothers the happiest and healthiest lot of men that ever ventured into the hyperborean kingdom of desolation end of chapter forty eight historical sketch of arctic exploration part one